Hi, New Life family and friends. I trust that you've had a great morning already of being together, of praying together, of singing together, of listening to the scriptures being read together. Well, I'm not there, but I will be back next week. I'm just away for this weekend, but I'm excited to introduce to you my friend, Leanne. She's a new friend that I've met through Jesus Collective. She's the lead pastor at Mount Hamilton Baptist Church in Hamilton, Ontario. And she is going to bring uh, just uh, a, a wonderful gift to us today in unpacking for us the story from Luke 8 of the interaction Jesus has with a woman who has experienced bleeding for a long time. And there's some great gifts in there for us. And I know that the Holy Spirit's going to use Leanne to speak to us this morning. So lean in, enjoy, uh, learn, and then process together. And we will see you next week. Hello, out in Collingwood. It's wonderful to be here today in this way. My name is Leanne Friesen. I'm the lead pastor of Mount Hamilton Baptist Church in Hamilton, and I'm so glad to be able to share with you today. Now, when Paul wrote me, and wrote all of us actually, me, Erica, and Angela, the three ladies that he'd invited to share as part of this series, he sent an email to all of us explaining that we could pick really any passage we wanted from the book of Luke about Jesus' interaction with a woman or women. So some story from Luke with Jesus interacting with women. And I wrote back right away and said that I would like to do this story that you've already heard read, the story of the healing of the woman with the bleeding. And this is when, you know, Angela and Erica wrote back and they said, oh, wow, Leanne, goodness, that was fast. And you're on top of things and you know you've really been able to decide this quickly and this is where i should confess that whenever i'm asked to speak about a story of jesus and women this is pretty much always the story i'm going to choose because this is my favorite bible story and I know that's a big thing uh, for a preacher and any Christian to say, but this is truly my very favorite story. I love what this story tells us about who Jesus is and who this woman is and what that means for all of us about how Jesus sees us. And so, to be honest, when I wrote back so quickly about what passage I wanted to preach from, my motives were mostly selfish. I wanted this story all to myself, and I wanted to, to take the opportunity before someone else would claim it first. So hopefully, as I share along, uh, you'll be able to see why I love this story enough to want to send that email really quickly so I get a chance to share about it. You've already heard the story read, the passage from Scripture from the book of Luke. And as it says, this is a story about a woman known as the woman with the bleeding. And I love this woman. It's one of the reasons I love this story. Uh, but even though I love her, it doesn't seem like we know a lot about her. There's not a lot of detail given about her. But yet, what we do know about her actually tells us quite a lot about her life. Because it tells us uh, that she had been, it says, bleeding, subject to bleeding, for 12 years. And this tells us a lot about what her life would have been like. 
we don't know exactly what the medical issue was at work here. Perhaps something like endometriosis or a cyst. Uh, certainly nothing that would have caused her life to end at this point, like something cancerous. So likely uh, something that today would so easily uh, be fixed or treated by modern medicine. But at this time, she was forced to continue to suffer. And this meant very specific realities in her life. And because this was a culture, um, a religious-based system that many of you will be familiar with, uh, that had categories of clean and unclean. In the Old Testament, which is the first part of the Bible that talks about all the stuff that happened before Jesus came, we see the start of God's covenant with his people. And he explained the holy presence through what we call the sacrificial system. And part of that system included uh, the idea of what it meant to be clean, metaphorically, religiously clean, uh, in order to come before God. And it actually had a very physical, tangible thing. And so there were certain things you had to do in order to be deemed clean. And there were things that would make you unclean. And if you're unclean, then there were religious practices that you would be not able to do. In Leviticus 15, 25 to 27, it reads, When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, at a time other than her monthly period, or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge just as in the days of her period. So what we know is that for 12 years, this woman would have been considered unclean. And here's what we know about how that might have looked, is continuing from Leviticus. Any bed she lies on while her discharge continues will be unclean, as is her bed during her monthly period, and anything she sits on will be unclean, as during her period, and anyone who touches them will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean until evening. And so because she was unclean, that meant there was so many things she couldn't do, and she could not be a part of so much of her own religion. She could not be a part of many of the festivals that they would have uh, enjoyed, uh, certain very special events like Passover and Hanukkah. She would have been unclean and unable to participate in those. She couldn't join in worshiping the way women would have at the temple. But then to add, I guess, insult to injury, she had the ability to make other people unclean if they touched her or if they said even somewhere where she sat or laid down, for them to also touch that would make that unclean. So she was making things around her unclean. So you can imagine how much people avoided her. You know, this year in the week leading up to Easter, I was absolutely uh, panicked that I would get COVID before the Easter service. And I know poor Pastor Paul had to deal with that reality. And I was so cautious that even if I heard someone like had a cold or they'd been around someone with COVID, I would say, you know what, let's not get together because I don't want to catch COVID. And we all know that reality in recent months. Well, now imagine being that person for 12 years that no one wants to come near uh, in that same way because you might catch their uncleanliness. And so for 12 years, what we know about her is she has lived as an outsider, outside of her culture, outside of her religion. And of course, there's just the frustration and, and the pain and the suffering that comes with such a medical condition for so long. 
Now, it, it talks in scripture about her spending everything she had. Mark says this, that she'd spent all she had to get better, but instead of getting better, she got worse. And so that gives us this other glimpse into her life. I mean, who can blame her for spending all she had? Yet it had been pointless. You know, there were 11 cures for bleeding disorders in the Talmud, which was a, a book that Jewish people would use to, to live out their faith and had ways they could do things and do that. One way was to carry the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen rag in summer and a cotton rag in winter. Another was to carry a piece of barley, which had been found in camel dung. And sometimes I wonder, you know, did she try these? Had she done these things? She tried everything, Mark tells us. And I think about the pain and the embarrassment, and the awkwardness, and, and the hope every time you would try this. Can you imagine going to the healers and the priests year after year, try this, now try this, and it never worked. And she'd spent everything. So now she has nothing left. She is poor adding another layer of her separation from others. And so to me, as I hear this story, what makes it so beautiful is this moment of this woman who has suffered, this woman who's been on the outside, reaching out to Jesus. She had heard about him, it says. It tells us that, uh, again, in Mark, that she'd heard he was coming. And I wonder what she'd heard, right? There's this man, and he can heal people. And she thinks, maybe just one more try. And we read that she touches the edge of his cloak. And that makes sense because at that time, people believed that powerful people, that there was also power in their clothes. And so she decides, I'm just going to touch his cloak. And she's healed. And of course, I love that. This is just such a beautiful story of hope and new life. But here's where I want to confess something again, and that is that as much as I love this story, this is my favorite story, it also frustrates me. And that's because of another incident in which this story is cloaked. Because in this section of scripture, there are actually two healings that happen. And you already heard it read. It says at the beginning in verse 40, Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were expecting him. And then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Now this, this we can imagine, the anxiety, the worry, the deep need that Jairus felt. But when I read this, there's this little part of it that grates on me because I see the contrast of how Jairus comes to Jesus and how this woman comes to Jesus. Jairus, you know, steps out of the crowd. He speaks in front of everyone. He is bold in asking Jesus to come to his home, right? You know, come with me. There doesn't seem to be any hesitancy on his part in thinking this is a reasonable thing to ask. He doesn't have issues with saying, you know, would you come to my house? Would you touch my daughter? We know he has a position of authority. He's a synagogue leader. We know his name. And then we have this woman who never stands up and never speaks out, who follows behind and instead reaches out as discreetly as she can. She, she never feels she can ask for his touch. She crawls to Jesus. And I don't begrudge Jairus, but I feel for this woman, you know, her voice 
she has been taught isn't quite as important as someone like that. She doesn't have the same power, the same confidence that he does. She doesn't feel she has quite the same right to ask for things. And probably because she is poor and because she is powerless and because she is a woman and he is a synagogue leader, she is no one. She has no house. It says she had nothing. She probably has no family. How could she have a child with this condition she had? She is a bleeding woman that has been made unclean because of this. She is a woman who it seems has been crouched in shame. She has spent 12 years being told she is dirty, unclean, unworthy to come to God. And even though we don't have today this unclean and clean dynamic in terms of the way we practice our faith, I think all of us listening here, especially as women, know that women still experience the shame of having a woman's body, of being a woman, more often than we ever want to admit or acknowledge. There's still so much shame that can come with womanhood, not just including bleeding. There are still girls who can't go to school when they have their periods, women who are sent to huts. But beyond that, there are so many ways that any woman listening here, and myself included, has been made to feel shame simply about things that women just do because of our own bodies. A few years ago, I was preaching on this passage at another church. A friend of mine had asked me to come speak, and this is my favorite story, so I wanted to share about it. And interestingly enough, just a couple of days before I was going to preach, I had a, just a minor day surgery to treat endometriosis. I have had endometriosis my whole life. And so I had warned this pastor, I said, you know, I, I should be fine. The procedure's on Thursday. I'm only supposed to need a few hours to recover. But when I got there, you know, he asked how I was doing. I said I was feeling well and so on. I told him a bit about it. And he said, man, like, you should tell everyone today. Like, when we introduce you, like, are you going to tell them this is so ironic? Right? You're preaching as a woman with a bleeding condition, you know, and you just had this procedure and you thought it was interesting. And you know what my response was? I said, oh my goodness, please don't tell anyone. Don't, don't mention it. Please don't mention it. It's interesting, isn't it? Like I have asked for so many prayer requests for people with surgeries and health conditions in so many ways, but I didn't feel like I wanted to say in front of this crowd that I had a surgery for you know what, often many of us were taught, you know, for women's issues. I felt ashamed and embarrassed of that. And you know, it, it, there's so many other ways. It's not just our periods and our bodies. And, uh, every Sunday, I check my cleavage. I check my skirt length. I make sure no straps are showing. In the last couple of weeks, as I record this, one of the great debates on Twitter is telling women not to wear leggings. And there's just such a sense of policing women in this way and saying that you should feel shame for having a body that maybe doesn't always make me feel comfortable. And it happens in other ways too. Many years ago, I was just 23 years old and I was working as a youth pastor at a church. And I had been invited to attend a young adult Bible study at another church in town. And they had brought in a special guest for the week, a Bible teacher, and he was doing one night with this young adult study. So when I got there, I 
didn't really know anyone. I introduced myself. I explained that I was a youth pastor at this other church. And then this man began to speak and teach. It was just us sitting around in a circle. And I loved it. Truly, I had never experienced someone dig into the word like this before. It's probably one of the things that inspired me to pursue seminary. And that's quite genuine. I wanted to be able to do what, you know, he could do. And then as he was teaching and I was just taking notes, I couldn't take enough notes. I was just asking tons of questions. I was so excited. For some reason at one point, he, he kind of just veered what he was saying. And he started talking about men's and women's roles in the church. And he made this comment and he said, and you know, this is why men, it's so important that you step up to the roles God has called you to. Because if not, then woman like this woman here, and he looked right at me, they'll, she'll be forced to step into your role that you should have had. And I remember him looking at me and making that comment and just making myself as small as I could. I felt so ashamed. And you know, I never spoke again that night. And many of us know that feeling, that, that shame that leads us to do exactly what this woman does in this passage when she comes before an important man. She makes herself less. She makes herself quieter. She tries to be as unseen as possible. And so she doesn't come to Jesus like Jairus does. She comes in fear and hiding like so many of us do. Because we have been conditioned to feel shame simply sometimes because we are women, because of bodies that bleed or tempt or lead astray or talk too much or overpower a man, because we are women who haven't always been taught to speak up in the crowd, much less to be noticeable. We just weren't raised like Jairus was. And so many of us, maybe listening today or maybe we have had this experience in other times or know women like this, we feel that shame and uncertainty so much that sometimes we're not even sure we can come before God. And so when I said, you know, there's this piece of annoyance in this story, it's, it's more of a heaviness and a grief because in this woman, I see all of us. All of us women used to feeling like we don't deserve quite as much. But it's also because of this, even though this moment of grief that I end up loving this story anymore, even more. The reason that the story is my favorite, and it's because of how Jesus responds to this woman, how Jesus responds to this woman doing all she can to disappear and be unseen. I love that Jesus stops and turns around and looks for her and looks at her and sees me. In the story, it says she reaches out, there's crowds pressing around, and Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, listen, there's a crowd here, like, what are we supposed to do? But it says, you know, he wants to know who touched him. He says, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out of me. And it says, then the woman, seeing that she couldn't go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she'd been instantly healed. And he said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. There's this way that we often read this story. Every time I've ever heard it preached or read, 
When people get to this part, they read it like this. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Who touched me? And we read it like Jesus is angry, which makes no sense, because he's clearly not angry at her. He wants to see her. He calls out to her. He blesses her. I picture him saying, who touched me? Something wonderful has happened and I want to see them. But still, you know, she's afraid, right? She trembles as she comes before him because there's all these crowds around. And her assumption would be, now I've done it. I've touched someone. I've made all these people unclean. Maybe him unclean. I'm going to be chastised. But instead, you have Jesus eager to find her, eager to see who's reached out to him on the way to this home of a powerful leader. Jesus stops and looks for her and says, daughter, your faith has healed you. And that moment is so beautiful. We don't know her name, but we know she is a daughter. Remember, this is the nation of Israel. They believed they were God's children. And now for a decade plus two years, she has been made to feel like she does not belong in that family. She's never been able to fully participate. And he says, daughter. And this is so beautiful when I think that Jesus sees us all this way. Daughter, this is what I name you. This is how I see you. This is what I dub you. In a world where as women we are named so many things that aren't our names. Baby, sweetie, honey, so many other options that are far worse. But not Jesus. Jesus says, daughter of God. And so we see this beautiful image of how Jesus treats women that Jesus says who we are. He says all those things that others say you are. Let me tell you the truth. You're not just a woman who bleeds. You're not just what shames you. You're not just a body. You're not unclean. You're not unseen. You are a woman of faith. You are a daughter. And what I especially love about this story is that this isn't just a story then about how Jesus sees women. I absolutely love how the woman is treated here and what this tells us about how Jesus wants to raise women up off the ground to see him fully. But it teaches us how Jesus sees all people, all of us. And in this space, we have a story that reminds us we can make space for one another. Remember Jairus? Remember how Jairus has come and he says, my daughter is dying. Would you come and help her? I wonder how Jairus felt at the moment when they're on his way to his house, and this is urgent, and Jesus says, who touched me? Can't you just picture Jesus being like, I mean, excuse me, picture Jairus being like, Jesus, like, we gotta go. And then he stops to talk to this woman who, in many ways, Jairus would have been taught, you know, you shouldn't even be near her. Can you picture Jairus being antsy and saying, you can't stop. There's, if you stop for her, my daughter could die. There won't be space for me in the miracle that I need. And in fact, when they get to his house, it says she's already died. And can you imagine that moment, him feeling like, see, she took something from me. And sometimes we fear that too. We fear in this era that if others are built up, that if new voices are heard, that maybe something will be taken from us, that there won't be enough for us. That's what the man leading that Bible study thought, right? You've stepped into this role, and now men don't have a role anymore. Um, you're taking a man's place, he was saying. But this passage reminds me that that's not how Jesus works. 
When Jesus gets there, he raises his little girl back to life. He tells him to keep believing. There's still room for Jairus and Jairus's miracle. The people of privilege and the powerful are not forgotten. Jesus sees them all, the powerful and the powerless, men and women, every person who feels unseen. And Jesus makes space for all without taking space from anyone else. As I think of this passage, I'm reminded that as God's people, as people following the Jesus way, this is the man after whom we emulate our life. Jesus gives us this model. He shows us who people are, the delicate and gentle and loving and honest way. He sees the depths of their humanity. And in that, we're invited to do the same. And I find myself remembering his call for me to stop and look for those who may be forgotten. And I ask us if we can do the same. Can we give voice for people who maybe had no voice? Can we see people crawling and say, you belong. Can we see that this is a voice we can have for others? Be that for a woman, uh, which we're talking about today, or for anyone who's had to crawl too long. And may we know that in doing so, God is not running out of space for us. He doesn't run out of time for us. He doesn't run out of miracles. There is enough of God and God's goodness for all of us. And so this message is one that we can take with us. This is a story worth telling. And these are the words then that I want to share with all of you, especially to the women listening today. Go and be freed from your suffering. My sister, these are the words of Jesus. Live in freedom. I know people are going to try and shame us. And we're going to hear the no's and you shouldn't do that. And you should be ashamed of yourself. And go read the Bible again. But in the midst of that, may we hear these words. Go and be free. And all of us who are crawling in whatever way that may feel. May we all remember we don't have to be ashamed anymore. Be free. Children of God. Sons and daughters. Jesus is still walking by. And he wants to see us. He still will say, who touched me? Who needs me? And whether we come in boldness or fear and trembling, may we be people who can say, it's me. I'm here. You see me. And may we hear his words setting us free. You know, even though today I wanted this topic all to myself, my hope is that we will see this story is one we can all tell. It's not mine on its own. Of course it isn't. That we would, I want us to go from here knowing and telling and retelling the story of a daughter and a son and a daughter of a son set free by the Jesus who always looks for us. May our faith be centered on this Jesus who shows us who we really are. Thanks be to God. I'd love to pray for you um, before I end today. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Thank you for how you see and know and love us. Thank you for stopping to look for us. Thank you for making space for all of us. And Lord, I pray for each person in this moment now who needs you in each of their own ways. May they hear you and see you and recognize your voice telling them who they are. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.
we want to thank um, once again Leanne and Erica and Andrew for sharing with us these last few weeks. And it's been excellent, excellent trip through the scriptures. Uh, but I also want us to remember the stories that they told. Because the stories that they told tell us that as the church, we still have some work to do here. Um, Leanne said something right at the beginning and then again right at the end of her talk about seeing others as Jesus sees them. And all three weeks that we've gone through these messages, we've been taught to see others as Jesus sees them. And the scriptures show this so clearly that Jesus elevates those that others would keep in a lower place. That's the model of Jesus. That's the thing that I think we really, really want to take away from these three weeks is that where others are made to feel less, Jesus elevates. And as his church, that's our job.